So, the book of Philippians, it's, uh, it's one of those uh, four little letters that's um, right after First, uh, first and Second Corinthians. Got four little letters, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, all in a row. <clears throat> um, Philippians is a pretty important church. That's, the, that's why it's called Philippians. It's, he wrote it to the church in Philippi. I'm, as usual, I'm going to give you a little bit background. There's only four chapters, so it won't take us long to go through it. I'm not sure if we'll go right straight back to the Old Testament uh, after that, because we, we won't have spent very long in the New Testament, but we'll just see what happens. Um, Philip, Philippi was named Philippi after Philip of Macedon. So Macedonia was the name of the place before it was called Greece. And Philip of Macedon was Alexander the Great's father. And um, I, I, that's pretty big right there. And Alexander the Great, of course, is the, 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 built the whole Greek empire. Every place was Greece. And, and for hundreds and hundreds and a thousand years after that, even though Rome was in charge of things, after they defeated Greece, Greece and the culture of the Greeks still had an impact on Rome, at the Roman Empire and everything. All the the Roman gods and all that stuff, that's all borrowed from the Greek culture. Um, and the the way they structured their government and everything was a lot the way the Greeks did it, uh, a, Greek Republic was what the Rome was for a very long time until about 42 BC. And there, I've got a reason for telling you all this. It kind of comes back around to the church. In 42 BC, there was a battle between, um, on one side, you had, okay, we had Julius Caesar. Uh, if you know your Shakespeare, do you remember what happened to him? Yeah. What? He got what? Stabbed a bunch. Right. He got stabbed a bunch. He was assassinated by a group of guys that that felt like the um, the the Republic because they had kind of senators and stuff like we have that the republic was becoming less a republic and more of a dictatorship uh, from Julius Caesar. And, um, and he saw himself as an emperor, a ruler of an empire. And so they killed him. In, in Shakespeare, his last words are, et tu, Brute? Even you, Brutus? And um, so... In 42 BC, the, uh, Antony and a guy named Octavian, and we know Antony from Antony and Cleopatra, and we'll come to that in a second. Uh, Antony and a guy named uh, Octavian uh, were in favor, they were friends of Julius Caesar, and they were in favor of the, an empire. Growing this big empire, and it, it would be ruled over by one person, 
And um, they have this battle with Brutus, the guy that's killed Julius Caesar, and um, a guy named Cassius. And uh, Brutus and Cassius are defeated. And Antony and Octavian, then are kind of the bosses, they take over after Julius Caesar is dead. And in order, so that their BFFs, because they, they were in a struggle, they were in a, um, a, a tug of war for who was going to be in charge. And the, so they kind of didn't like each other. And so, to, so that they would remain best friends forever. Antony marries Octavian's sister, Octavia, and they're happily ever after not because he stayed in his relationship with Cleopatra. She has a bunch of children by him and everything. And so that didn't contribute to the good relationship uh, between him and Octavian. And they eventually have more battles. And that's where Antony and Cleopatra end up as being, they end up committing suicide because they're overrun. They, they flee Egypt and all that kind of stuff. Um, and Octavian becomes Augustus Caesar. So he is the Caesar when Jesus is born. All this happens 42 years before Jesus is born. So when it's, when Luke chapter two starts off with in the days of Caesar Augustus, this is the guy. Okay. So all that stuff happened in Philippi. Philippi was a big, a big, big deal. There are, it's not a big deal now. There's just ruins there. Um, I mean, it, there's still a city, but the ruins of the original city are, are I mean, it's just all ruins. The, the, the parts of that city didn't, didn't survive to today. And there are cathedrals there that rival, I mean, that are so fancy. And they, ha- they were built in these first few, first couple of centuries of the church. There was a church in Philippi that rivaled like the Hagia Sophia in Constantinople, which is now a mosque. It's funny, it's a mosque, but it still has Jesus and Mary and all that stuff in, in these frescoes on the wall. They haven't destroyed those, which is interesting. But, um, but it's a mosque now in Constantinople, uh, which that was all built up during the reign of Emperor Constantine, which is the one that started, made the Christian church the official religion. And all of that is going on in the development of the city of Philippi. But the very first church met in a lady's house, Pam. Um, Pam's been, Pam's been listening to a lot on Beth Moore and her, her dealings with the church and people that said there shouldn't be a woman leading the church, but Lydia was the first convert in Philippi, um, and she and all her household are baptized, and they eventually start meeting in her house, and did for probably quite some time, because she was wealthy and had a big old living room that everybody could sit in. I don't know if she had a piano and all that stuff for them to play, but um, she at least probably had a guitar, because she was rich. So they all meet at her house, all right? Um, Um. 
in Philippi and and during the time that Paul was starting there, after the battle between Antony and Octavian and Brutus and Cassius, Octavian leaves a bunch of soldiers there to establish the city in Philippi. And it became like the retirement home for soldiers, Sarge. You, um, that, you wonder where you could retire? Philippi was the place. Um, and it eventually, I mean, there were thousands and thousands of Roman soldiers who, who settled there. It, it had the privilege of being a Roman colony, not a Roman outpost, something associated with Rome. It was like Rome East. Um, it was a, they called it Little Rome was one of its nicknames. Uh, all the laws were just like Rome. All their, uh, all of their cultural practices and stuff, it was just like Rome. So when Paul goes there as a Roman citizen, he uh, enjoys all these privileges there. Um, and it was just like being in Rome. So that's, that's the picture of it. They lived as citizens of Rome. They had, they didn't have to pay Rome. They didn't have to pay taxes like other provinces did. They were just like Rome. Nobody in Rome paid taxes to Rome because they lived there. And Philippi was one of those places. They lived tax free. Um, uh, and no impact from like foreign stuff. Um, okay. And I've mentioned Lydia. Okay. So what that starts us off with. Verse 1 of, oh, we always talk about the, the writer. Well, obviously it's Paul because it starts off with, oh, I need to turn it on. It starts off with Paul and Timothy. Now, some people think that they co-wrote it. They didn't. Uh, we'll see that in a, in, a, in a little bit. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, they were just together there in Philippi. To all, uh, they're not in Philippi. He wrote this from Rome. It's one of the prison, uh, prison epistles, one of the letters that he wrote from prison. So to all the saints in Christ, who are the saints? Is it that special list of people that's performed miracles? No, it's just, that was just the church. To all the saints, all the members of the church at, at Philippi, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, along with the bishops and the deacons. The word there is episkopos, which means overseer, and, um, and diakonos. If you grew up in the Baptist church, that, that referred only to pastors. But uh, episkopos is one of the words that they use for elders, an overseer, a lead, one of the lead people that, that led, helped lead a church. Um, it not not necessarily a pastor because there were several elders appointed in these different churches instead of just one pastor being the boss of things. Um, so these bishops and deacons, deacons, diakonos is the Greek word, and it just means a servant. So there were these group of, of leaders and a group of people appointed to be special servants in the church. They were the people, I mean, like if it was now, they visit people in the hospital and then they carry food to members that are at shut-ins and things like that. That's what the, and they, the diakonos, uh, diakonai, were the ones that 
ministered to widows and orphans. That's what they were originally appointed for in Acts chapter 6. Um, along with the bishops and the deacons. And he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, grace was a, it's interesting, grace and peace. The way Greek people, okay, you, you guys all know that Hebrew people greeted uh, each other and they still do with what word? Shalom, which means peace. So that was a, that was a Hebrew um, greeting. Peace is the Hebrew greeting. Grace is charis is the Greek greeting. It's the same thing. They'd say charis, grace, just the same way the Hebrew people did shalom. So he's speaking maybe to those two groups of people there. Um, from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, then he says, the next verse, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Philippians is supposed to be down there. I messed something up there. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Okay, go back to Acts for a minute. The first 13 chapters of Acts is all about the the disciples and the, their develop, development of the church during all that time. And then in Acts chapter 13, I think it's where Paul is on the road to Damascus and he's called. Uh, no, that's Acts chapter 12, I think. Okay, so, but he doesn't get to Philippi until Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, well, let's just go over there. But he says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. I haven't got all of Acts chapter 16. So let's just look at that. I'm going to open that right quick. Um, Acts chapter 16. Let me just. Okay. So. Now, this is verse 6 of Acts chapter 16. He says, now, when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. Um, which I think, this is where Greece is. And so Asia was considered the stuff that was to the right of that. It's where, uh, where Turkey is now. Um, they were forbidden to preach the word in Asia. After they had gone to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. The Holy Spirit said, no, don't go there. And that there was a, there's a progression that makes sense um, later on. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia, so Macedonia is where Philippi is, a man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him in his dreams, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia. And this is we, that's Luke, is with them too. Um, any place that says we, it's Luke is with that bunch. Um, there's only a few chapters where it's there. They aren't we chapters. Um, we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. 
So sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia. It was the biggest city. It was the big. It was it was where things were happening. Um, in Macedonia, a colony. And we were a colony, a Roman colony. It was different from the other provinces. And we were staying in that city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside, because they didn't have a synagogue there, where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. It's the church just of women. Um. Now, I, I, I don't know what kind of religion they're doing, if they were, if they were uh, worshiping the Greek and Roman gods or what the deal was, but he goes out and meets with them there. The way, and, it's, and it's similar to what Paul does in other places that he goes in, in the Greek and Roman theater. And he says... Uh, now, a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshiped God. And the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul, the gospel. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us saying, if you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. Um, and she's the beginning of the church there. Which brings us to chapter 16. So they're on the way to her house. Now it happened as we went, as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with, because this is, this is important. When Paul says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. This is what he remembered about, part of what he remembered about Philippi at least. Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination. What does that mean? She could see the future. She could divine the future and divine things the unknown. Um, she, uh, she met us, who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. This girl followed, and wh why? Because she really did. So there was something about her. She had a, a spirit that allowed her to tell people's fortune and tell it accurately enough that she made a lot of money for these guys. Um, this girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, these men are the servants of the most high God. She knows stuff for real. Who proclaimed to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. This is kind of funny. But Paul greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. So, Suddenly, she doesn't have that spirit anymore. And she, I'm sure she was pretty happy about it. She's not, I mean, that's a tormenting thing to have that kind of a spirit go, going on. So, come out of her. Uh, but when her, and she came, and came out that very hour, but when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, these men being Jews, 
exceedingly trouble our city, and they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and tore off Paul and Silas's clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Oh, and the jailer took it seriously because he could get in trouble if he didn't do what they asked. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. So their stocks, they, you know, either wooden or metal bars with their feet clamped into them. This is a place where they sing songs all night long. Maybe that's why you remember he was singing songs like Kumbaya around the campfire. And he, <clears throat> they sing songs all night long. And then a, a, an earthquake comes and the, and the jailer thinks, oh, I'm in trouble now. And he runs in and he finds him and he's going to kill himself. And Paul says, no, don't hurt yourself. We're still here. Everything's, everything's good. Well, then he gets saved and, um, and maybe that's what Paul remembered, uh, uh, the gospel. Whatever it is, I thank my God for every remembrance of you, even the beating. All, and it goes on. I thank my God upon, uh, for every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Um. Maybe that's what he remembers that brought him so much joy. That uh, for your fellowship, the word is translated some other places. Well, it's koinonia is the word that we always think of for fellowship. But really, it should be probably should be uh, for your participation or your partnership. I think so. Rather. Um, I thank my God upon every remember of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy for your partnership from the first day until now. From and it really did happen in in the very beginning with Lydia and all that bunch that that grew up from the first day until now. They've been faithful. Even they've sent him gifts in Rome to help take care of him, and. Um, from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun, who's that? God. God who's begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ, until the day of redemption. That they'll just keep on growing in their faith and God will keep on ministering to that part of the world through them. I mean, eventually they have these huge cathedrals there and everything. This church grew up in a big way right there, um, especially in the non-Jewish part of the world. This was the very beginning of the ch church in places where the seeds hadn't been sown because uh, in all the other places, there's synagogues. People are familiar with the Jewish religion. They're familiar with the one God. They're familiar with the way all that stuff works. Paul plants a seed in Philippi that's brand new. It's the first church that's in a place that wasn't, didn't have a Jewish presence. Um, 
it's the first place that he started a church where they're worshiping other, not their, these Roman gods and all that kind of stuff. Okay. That he, who's begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And that's not until the day of judgment. It's a bit until the day of redemption. Uh, that's, that's the day of Jesus Christ that it's talking about. Just as it is right for me to think of this, just as it's right, for me to think this of you all because I have you in my heart inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. Um, for God is my witness. Is that? Yeah. For God is my witness how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ, the love of Jesus. Um, so he's saying uh, that God will bring this to completion. He had the same kind of faith that Abraham had that, that God would work out what he had promised. He's having that same faith with these people, um, with the people at Philippi, that God will bring all this stuff to completion, just like Abraham having a baby. Um, I long for you with affection, love of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and discernment. I want to stop right there for a second. The love that he's talking about isn't the ooey-gooey love that, I mean, we use love for so many things nowadays. We use Loving chicken, Chick-fil-A, whatever, all those kind of things. There's a big thing now about you love who you love. That, that because you love somebody, it doesn't matter what, 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 there, there's no boundaries for all that kind of love. Paul isn't talking about that you have a love for one another that's just this vague, gooey, whatever. He's saying that your love may abound in knowledge and discernment. That you'll have a love for each other based on things you know about each other. And there's a reason for that. You don't just love anybody anytime for anything. And so that idea that the church is this, this ooey-gooey love that loves everybody, everything, all the time is not consistent with what Paul's talking about here. He says that your knowledge be that your love be informed with knowledge and discernment. Discernment is being able to under, know who that person is, know what they represent, know who they are, that you may approve the things that are excellent. So that that you would approve people. That and the word approve there is as um a word that's translated other ways, other places as assay. What do you, do you know? What an assayer does? An assayer. What? Oh, that when a when a gold prospector would bring his gold in, he'd bring it to the assayer that would weigh it and test it and do all these things to prove whether it was really gold or not. That's the word that's used right there, that you may approve, that you may prove, prove, prove who they are, that they're excellent. Um, 
that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. The word sincere is funny. It's, that's actually the word in the Greek right there. Sincera. Do you know what sin means in Spanish? You have con, chili con carne, means with meat. Um, you have, uh, you have, and that means with. Seen means without, like water, seen, uh, whatever. Seen yellow, no, no ice, without ice. Um, that this word right here is seen without, means the same thing. Seen Sarah. When, when pots got broken, but the pot is fired and everything, it's a, and it's a good pot but there's a broken piece in it, they would glue it back on with wax. The word Sarah is wax. And they glue that back on with wax. And then the pot could still do some things. But if you put the pot in the sun, the wax would melt and the pot would fall apart. So he's talking about that you may be seen Sarah without wax, which means a pure pot, fully able to be everything that a pot should be, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Um, without offense, that word is translated, it's aposcopy, which means, which is the part of the trap that holds the bait. Without offense means to be blameless right there. Um, that you not be a person that's seeking your own and this whole idea of the bait of the trap until the day of Christ. Till the day, of, till the day that you are redeemed, that you be a faithful Christ worshiper, that you be sincere without wax, whole and complete in everything, able to be what you are and without, and without offense, not hurting people along the way, not messing things up. Man, do we ever need that now? Um, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, filled with the fruits of righteousness, really the fruits from righteousness, that, that righteousness be what you are and your fruits come from that. Not that you do just do righteous fruits. They be a natural outpouring of your righteousness. Be, being filled with the... Am I still there? Yeah. Being filled with the fruits from righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ or from Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God, so that they come out of spirit led. But they're not coming from our flesh in any kind of way. They're just led by the spirit of Christ. They come naturally out of that kind of a righteousness. The righteousness comes from Christ. So, he goes on. Now he said, I, I thank my God for every remembrance of you. And then he says in verse 12, but I want you to know, brethren, but I want you to know that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Paul is looking on the bright side. He's in Rome, under house arrest, and sometimes when he was in Rome, he had good days and bad days because 
some days he was chained and had guards that were not very nice to him, and some days things were better. But Paul is saying, I'm looking on the bright side, and you may think that me being in prison in Rome is a bad thing, but you know what? There's a little bit of a good side to it. The things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, which is all he cared about. The gospel has been moved forward so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard. So he's in, in Rome where the emperor lives and the guard there, though, is receiving the gospel. It's been evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. Our son was in prison for a few years. I don't, I don't know. It, some of you may not know that. But our son was in prison for a number of years. And when he first got there, things were kind of crazy. And, but he got kind of settled in there. Um, and he was brought before all, all these officers one day. Um, that happened a few times. But this part that I'm going to tell you, he was brought before the officers and they said, um, we've been looking at your case. And we want you to tell, what are you in here for? And he said, I'm in here for assaulting a peace officer. They said, okay, there's got to be more to this story because that we know that that's not who you are. We can tell that's not who you are. And he, as a result of them getting to see, he got to explain, okay, well, that's what the charge was, but here's really kind of what happened. And he got to explain that. It changed everything. And he ended up getting favor from it. They could tell by the person that he was that everything we've heard about you can't possibly be true. And he eventually becomes the uh, uh, an assistant to the chaplain at the prison. And he gets favor unbelievable. So that when we would go and visit him every month, people would come and it never happened to a single other soul. We're there with, and we see other people, and it never happened to anybody else. These people come to us and they go, we just want you to know that Jay's doing real good and, and he's, he's, he's a good kid. We appreciate him. That didn't happen to us. I never saw that happen one single time. That's what Paul's talking about right here. Paul's saying, even the palace guard that might, they see well, something's different about you. And we can see that God may be in all this, bringing you here to Rome for some of these things to happen. He was getting favor, and that's what he's telling the, people, the church of Philippi about this. And most of the brethren in the Lord have become confident by my chains. That me being in chains helped them to be confident. And so within the palace garden, we know that they were, uh, there were people that were favorable towards him. And they were sharing their faith everywhere they went. And Paul was able to share his faith during this time that he's in Rome that he's talking about. And are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul is saying, you, you may have thought there was a bad thing, but God's using it. it, um, it, it Romans 8.28 is happening right here. God works all things together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. That was certainly Paul. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy. 
So he's saying, look, this is all look on the bright side. He said, now some people may be preaching out of envy and strife, and, but all others of goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add, add affliction to my chains. Paul was always plagued by these bad teachers that were running him down all the time. The Judaizers, we called them sometimes. But the latter out of love, knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. Yes, this is in 62 or 63. What? Go ahead. So he's in prison here, not because of the Jews. He's in prison here because Nero's first round of Christians and blamed the fire of Rome on them. Is that the case? Uh, no, he's he was in Caesarea under Felix. Remember a men meeting with Agrippa and all that kind of stuff? And they want uh, the Judaizers, the, well, not the Judah, the Jews, the Jewish leaders of the old Hebrew church, church, I'm air quotes, um, those leaders wanted him to be put to death. And so that's why he appealed. He said, as a Roman citizen, I appeal to Rome to, to have my case brought before Caesar. That's why he's in Rome. There you go, he's in Rome. I just heard some historian, Christian historian, say, you know, at some point, because the Judaizer didn't show up to Rome, that he was released and he really had his own house. But then towards the end of his life, because of Nero, oh, okay, yes. Christians and Paul gets arrested for being a ringleader of cause of fire, and this is why he's in prison. That is a theory, and there's not. There's not any literature or anything to support that. Um, but that's very possible is that because he, he was he had different levels of security when he was in Rome. Yeah, that's true. That is true. But he says, so. Uh, some of them do it out of love, knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And that's all that matters. And in this I rejoice and will rejoice. Christ is preached is all that matters. So he's encouraging the readers to do likewise. Don't worry about it. If Christ is being preached, if the gospel is being spread, we're not going to sweat the the small stuff is the way you looked at it. Because they were going through various circumstances. They were under different kinds of persecution and stuff too. He said, so as long as Christ is preached and the gospel moves forward, all is good. So, And he says, to kind of put that more in perspective, he said, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. And, and they hear this and go, oh, good. He's going to get out of, he's going to get out of jail, right? But what does a deliverance mean? It could happen a lot of different ways. He could be released and go back to his missionary work. Uh, or, well, and we see what else. All this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed. But with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body. He's in chains right now, literally, 
Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. And either one works for, for Paul. Uh, by my life or by my death, verse 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, and he means literally in my body, not sometimes it, when it says in the flesh, it's talking about sin or, or, or stuff that's not of the spirit. But he says, if I live on in my flesh, in my body, this will mean fruit from my labor. It means I get to keep on preaching. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell, for I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Um, so he's saying, no matter what happens, I win. Yeah. And that should be an encouragement to all of us, because that's still true, is no matter what happens, we win. Um, I can't decide what to choose, having a desire to part and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you, because I can keep on writing these letters even if I'm in prison. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. That's always his hope for all these churches, that he gets to go back to them. Um. He's, I mean, he says that over and over in all the letters. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel and not in any way terrified by your adversaries. So they did have adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. So even when you're even when you're persecuted, it's proof of your salvation from God. For you, for to you, it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. So even in the midst of that tribulation, we, that's not a message we want to hear nowadays, is it? <laughs> that even in your trial, Christ is magnified just like Paul was experiencing with them. But it's the truth. And that ultimate reality that to live as Christ, to die is gain. And that's something that, it, depending on how many important people in your life are already residents in heaven, have that, that idea that heaven gets sweeter, um, that's that's the real thing. And for for Paul, it was just Jesus was there. And I'm I'm convinced that that many people that means more to them than the people that they will be reunited with. Amen. Even though that'll be sweet too. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this reality, for these verses are, are proven out in the in archaeology and everything else. This, this story of the beginning of the church is reality. And we are the benefactors of it, these 
centuries later, two millennia later, we are the benefactors of these seeds that were sown by Saul, uh, by Paul in those days. That people like Lydia laid foundations for us to have the faith that we have today. So, Father, we we rejoice in the inheritance that we have as as a part of the church. And Father, I pray that we'd be energized by by Paul's words to the the church at Philippi, that that the gospel be forwarded in all of our circumstances, no matter what they are, but that the gospel has moved forward in all of those things. And that even in our trials, we get to prove the same faith that Paul was proving by his own chains. And so, Father, as we be the church in all the places that we go, I pray that you'll bless us, remind us, show us the opportunities that we have to be Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.